Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, a cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians reads through the book of Concord and discusses our Lutheran confession of faith. On today's show, we're going to be finishing Article 1 from the epitome of the Formula of Concord, looking at the negative statements or the doctrines that we reject and condemn with regard to the teaching on original sin. Our confessors to discuss this article with us today is a collection of all Concordia, Texas alums, Pastor Timothy Apple, pastor of Grace Lutheran in Smithville, Texas, Pastor Nate Hill, pastor of St. Michael's Lutheran in Winchester, Texas, and Pastor Dustin Beck, who's pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran in Warda, Texas. And I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of the dual parish of Emmanuel West Point and St. Paul's Wine Hill. So I say welcome to my fellow to Tornado alums, and thank you for joining us today on Concord Matters. Although I must point out that uh, as, as we are all Concordia, Texas alums, there's something obviously different in the fact that uh, you guys are all in Texas and I'm in Illinois. Something something weird's going on there. Well, you should come visit. Well, I think we're coming to you today as the uh, triad of true Texan theologians. Yeah. Yes, oh, I, I like nicely it. Nicely done. Well, well nicely done. done, Pastor Hill. I, I should also point out that you you have heard these these fine gentlemen on KFUO before. Of course, Pastor Apple is the awesome host that you heard his promo just before our show started. Uh, uh, he is the host of uh, Sharper Iron, the morning Bible study here on KFUO. And, uh, of course, Pastor Hill and Pastor Beck have both been uh, guests of his on that show as well. But first-time guests for Pastor Hill and Pastor Beck on this show. And so uh, we welcome you and thank you for joining us. Especially, I'd like to point out that at the end of last week's show, I, I said that we'd have uh, one of the former hosts of this show, Pastor Charles Henriksen, uh, on as my guest today. However, uh, as he's been teaching at Concordia Chicago and so forth, he had some things to finish up there and was unavailable. And so these guys all stepped in last minute today as well. So I definitely want to thank you guys for uh, for uh, doing that for me. It's much appreciated. All right, so let's go ahead and dig in then. We are going to finish today uh, as this is the last episode before we have special uh, Christmas program on programming on KFUO. Be sure to tune in for that uh, beginning on Christmas Eve and throughout the entire uh, church Christmas season, which lasts for 12 days. Um, and so uh, be sure to tune in for that. But as we wrap up here in, at the end of the year with our last show here today, we want to wrap up this article, this first article from the epitome of the formula of Concord on original sin. And as we began last week, this time uh we are covering the negative statements that is again the 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 doctrines that we reject and condemn um we have uh in in the first episode so a couple episodes ago on this article 
uh, we we laid out all the affirmative theses, the 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 true teachings that we hold according to Scripture with regard to original sin, and then uh, how do we see that then in some of the errors that are being taught? And we are picking up with paragraph seventeen, uh, which is negative uh, point uh, number seven. And again, we're using the Concordia Reader's Edition available from Concordia Publishing House, uh, the Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord, that is, and um, uh, picking up in the epitome of the Formula of Concord, uh, paragraph 17. On the other hand, we also reject the false teaching of the Manichaeans who taught that original sin, like something essential and self-sustaining, has been infused by Satan into human nature and intermingled with it like when poison and wine are mixed. All right, so we, we very briefly covered this at the end of last week's episode, um, just kind of laying out the Manichaeans, because we spent most of last week's episode talking about the, the errors of semi-Pelagianism. Uh, and so for more on that, please go check out uh, last week's episode in the archives. Uh, but we did just touch on the Manichaeans as these two kind of philosophies were the, the dominant thinking at the time. And so I'm going to throw this to Pastor Hill. Pastor Hill, go ahead and lay for us. Who, who are the Manichaeans? What's, what's the teaching that's going on? And then we'll delve into this a little bit more here. Well, the Manichaeans are one of the, the less well-known groups, I think, as far as our popular thinking goes. Um, and they're mentioned in the Confessions in a couple of different places, primarily here in the formula, but also in passing uh, in the Augsburg Confession and its apology. The Manichaeans were a group that followed a teacher and false prophet uh, by the name of Mani, uh, who arose in Iran and Persia uh, back in the 3rd century A.D. Uh, Mani had been influenced strongly by uh, Gnosticism, and the way he thought about the world was that the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness were in some sort of eternal conflict and that just about all the dynamics of good and evil, light and darkness, could be seen in this way. It's not that dissimilar to some Eastern religions in the way that people will conceive of good and evil as equal and opposite forces, with no one being entirely good or no one being entirely evil, but them being in balance and equal and opposite forces working against each other. So um, that teaching by Mani was then brought into the, the language of some, who were trying to, to claim that they themselves were Christians. And in fact, I think it's interesting to remember that St. Augustine um, was actually um, Manichaean in his youth. So uh, we'll know that this is something that Augustine himself was very much on guard against, as well as Luther as a student. Yeah, that is a very helpful uh, definition that you've laid out there for us, and, and history and background as well, especially citing uh, St. Augustine. Um, and, and, and I think also, I, I always want to make this point, too, that, um, as you said, they, they show up several times in the Lutheran confessions, and, and especially here in the, the negative statements that we'll be dealing with here today. Um, but the Manichaeans, uh, as a practicing um, religion, if you will, weren't actually in existence at the time that this is even being written. They weren't even really around at the time of the Reformation. But that thinking that had been... Uh, promoted there continued to pervade and even work its way into the theology of some as it went on. And so that that's very helpful. Thank you. Uh, Pastor Beck, anything to add to that? Uh, just uh, from a historical context standpoint, uh, the fact that, you know, the, the formula is really written 
um, as a response to the fact that Lutheranism, the, the movement of the Reformation, is beginning to fracture. Um, Luther's not really there to be the arbiter and the, the referee. Uh, he's passed away by this point. And so you've got, um, you've got the, those who are following Philip Melanchthon, maybe a little bit softer uh, form of Lutheranism that's maybe a little bit more willing to compromise. And then you've got the Genesio Lutherans that are coming out on the side of a little bit more hard-nosed uh, approach, a little bit more in keeping with Luther. And that's really where they're coming from here is to say, um, how seriously are we going to take original sin? How, how seriously is this doctrine going to be applied? And, and like you pointed out uh, beautifully, Manichaeanism is not really something that's it's not a battle that's being fought. Of course, it's brought up at Trent. Um, you know the Council of Trent, where they kind of threw everything they could against the reformers, and just to kind of see what would stick. All of the anathemas, all of the curses, all of the um, the ancient heresies, they pinned on the reformers, and so they're really trying to be a little nuanced in terms of the way that they talk about uh, about the the doctrine concerning original sin. I loved y'all's talk about it last week, by the way. Um, uh, folks should go back and listen to that because we're talking about um, the condition that we have uh, in terms of uh, mankind's fall, our fall into sin. But I just, I think that, that that historical context of saying, you know, it's not that we're Manichaean uh, or that there's any danger of that. It's maybe being levied against us uh, because, you know, we're, we take pretty seriously, um, on the one hand, you know, that sin is is absolutely uh, corrupting of our nature, but at the same time, we don't want to say that God created um, evil. We don't want to say that God created a broken nature. Does that make sense? Absolutely, and I like what you highlighted there. I forget the exact words that you used, but I'm going to summarize in my own way. Essentially, is how deep does this sin thing go? <laughs> you know, yeah. like the, yeah. it, it, you know, that's that's what we're wrestling with here. And so then that brings us actually back to this negative statement here, uh, which is number seven, paragraph seventeen. Um, but uh, you know, what what is the depth of this original sin? How is it? Uh, is it mixed in with something from Satan here? And, and so, Pastor Apple, go ahead, and what, what are they getting at then with this negative statement, you know, tying in the Manichaean teaching and, and that idea? What, what, what are they saying here? I think this goes back to the error that is mentioned at the very beginning of this article in the epitome. The question, is original sin really, without any distinction, a person's corrupt nature, substance, and essence? such that there's there's absolutely no distinction to be made between the human nature and the original sin. And, and as you've talked about on previous episodes, to say such a thing invites all sorts of errors into very, very important teachings, central teachings to the Christian faith concerning who Christ is and what he has done. And so this is, this is the false teaching of the Manichaeans, is that, it, that this original sin somehow is a, a part of the human being as if it's a part of that very nature, a part of its its essence. And that is to invite in all sorts of squirrely things when it comes to Christ, who he is, what he's done, and, and ways that uh, would take us far afield from the truth of Christianity, which is, as you've pointed out in previous episodes, this is why this is so important, is how this affects that central teaching of Christ. Squirrely things. That's that's a that's a quite quite a uh, doctrinal uh, thesis there. <laughs> yes. So so then what role? Are, yeah. Okay. So uh, so so what role are they uh, uh, you know refuting here? Uh, 
with regards to Satan. It says, has been infused by Satan into human nature and intermingled with it. And so, again, this is a negative statement, and I've said several times as we've begun the formula, I always want to make clear what context we're talking about this. This is not something that we hold. This is something we reject and condemn. So when it says... Uh, infused by Satan into human nature and intermingled with it. What was the teaching at the time? What are we rejecting here? What is, what is the claim with regard to Satan to this, Pastor Hill? Well, this goes back to the big debate between the Philippists and the Gnasio Lutherans. And, you know, when we look at that debate, the Philippists were the ones that went soft and went at least partly down, I guess we could say, the road of, of semi-Pelagianism. And, of course, the reaction to bad theology ought to be good theology, but sometimes the reaction to bad theology is uh, some bad theology in the other direction um, as an overcorrection. And um, one of the theologians in that Benito Lutheran camp was Matthias uh, Flacius in that time, and he, um, in my opinion, kind of started going down the road of saying, no, 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 you're you're wrong. Uh, Original sin is far more... Uh, important and corrupting than the Philippists were saying, but he had had delved into an area where he was making it as if it was integrated into our nature in such a way that it couldn't be separated out, not even by Christ. So, for example, here in this paragraph 17, it talks about um, the wrong teaching is that we would envision um, Satan sneaking in and infusing and intermingling original sin into our nature as if it were poison and wine mixed together. And the idea is they can't be separated back out. It's such a, such a way that it can't be remedied. Um, and this notion when you take it too far uh, that the effects of original sin um, could be thought by some to be believed to be irreversible. Um, and we know, of course, that it's not only our actual sins, but our original sin um, that is remedied by Christ. If, if I can jump in there, Pastor Smith, and, and add to what Pastor Hill was saying, I think, too, it, it it's equating Satan's work with God's work. And, and when we jump ahead just a little bit, we'll get to this, I know, later. In the very last paragraph of this article, the confessors write that the devil can create no substance, but can only right. in an accidental way with God's consent corrupt the substance created by God. And so this Manichaean error is equating the devil's work with God's work. That's that dualism that I think it was Pastor Hill laid out the, the history for us. That's the sort of dualism that's being introduced here, the incorrect teaching concerning original sin. Yeah, I, I like what you've uh, framed both of you there for us. Uh, you know, the, the, this is the real issue then, is that if this claim that is being made is true about the work that Satan is doing and, and infusing this, then that becomes irreversible, which then negates what Christ did for us on the cross. And and as we always like to highlight on this show, let, let's, let's focus this in on how it pertains to Christ and our faith as taught in Scripture. And so if, if it nullifies Christ and what he does on the cross— then we have a real problem here, right? And so this this error needs to be rejected and condemned because otherwise we we throw out the gospel essentially, right? And then also equating Satan's work with God's work, Pastor Apple, you were highlighting that. Uh, I think that's uh, you know we see this a lot of time in cartoons, right? Uh, you have uh, the the little angel on one shoulder and the little devil on the other, and it it kind of makes them equals. And and in a sense, this is what that duality. 
that was being taught and promoted this this Manichaean idea, uh, this dualism as it plays out there is, is that it, it makes the devil somewhat equal with God then, right? Instead of corrupting what God has done, which is what we actually confess. And so, you know, it, it, it's a very dangerous teaching uh, to, to put Satan on the same level as God, right? Pastor Beck, anything to add? Um, just, I mean, more of what uh, what the other two pastors were pointing out. Uh, there's, <laughs> I came across uh, a little passage that talks about, uh, we were talking about Flacius a, mi- a moment ago, and uh, he went so far, uh, as Pastor Hill put, he leaned so far to the other side uh, over against Strigel's low view of sin. Uh, he claimed that the fall into sin had so damaged the substance of human beings that they were no longer in the image of God, but instead were in the image of Satan. Right. If that's if that's not full tilt, I mean, you know, I've I've actually heard pastors, you know, make points like that for homiletical value, but in terms of uh, of this being the teaching regarding original sin that we have completely and unequivocally lost the image of God, um, that's a little far, right? That's saying that um, God made us in a way that was was corruptible to sin, that um, that God has made us uh, in, in a way that. Um, that we're, we're basically uh, we're, we're built to be broken, if that makes sense. Um, and I don't, I don't think that God, that's the way that God created us. God created us in his image. It's, it's pretty clear in Scripture that God created us good. Um, things went wrong when we uh, took the reins ourselves and, uh, and, and wrecked, right? Absolutely. Gave in to the temptation of Satan, thus oh, yeah. corrupting it. But uh, yeah, th- this, 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 this is, we highlighted this uh, uh, several times last week, I think, you know, but, you know, just this temptation that we have at times to, you know, kind of correct against false teaching, as Pastor Hill was even talking about. And then we just kind of go too far to the other side. And that's really the flaky and error that the error by Flacius here is that, uh, you know, he just doubled down on this. And and that's a very interesting quote that you pulled out there. Yeah, very, very good. All right, let's push forward on to the next error then. All right, so this is uh, paragraph 18, uh, negative statement number eight. We reject the teaching that the natural man does not sin but something else sins apart from man. And on account of this, human nature is not accused, but only original sin in the nature. All right, so uh, this this one, uh, I, I kind of brought it in already a little early last week, uh, but we, we often try to escape responsibility for our own sins, right? It becomes real easy to blame others, especially for specific sins. Uh, and, and I think that this pertains more to, you know, uh, our original sin, we even want to blame that on others, right? All right, so uh, Pastor Apple, go ahead and uh, break this one down for us. Well, like you said, we want to blame our original sin on others, or or we want to not take responsibility for our original sin, somehow use it in a way such that we're not guilty for it. Um, I, I'm not, it's not my fault that I have this original sin. I, I inherited it, and so when I sin, I, I'm going to use that as some sort of defense against accepting responsibility, accepting guilt, uh, a failure then to confess that sin before God. This this rejection will not allow us to do this as if it's some part of me um, that I can separate in the sense that I'm not responsible for it, right? We, we want to make the distinction between the human nature and the original sin, but not in such a way as if it's just sort of a minor corruption or not a corruption of who I am such that I'm not responsible. No, I am responsible for my original sin, and that guilt is mine. 
I have to own it. I can't just set it aside as if it's someone else's fault. It's my fault. I may not like it, but that's the truth that God's revealing. And that's the error that, that we're rejecting here. It would seem that uh, to preserve that, there's the really helpful confession that we have in our divine services, right? Which is the one innovation to the liturgy that the Lutherans put in, Martin Luther himself put it in, right? Is that we would come in and confess that we are poor, miserable sinners, confess all of our sins and iniquities. And if we buy this error, you know, then really we have to start changing that confession, right? We we have to say, well, no, I mean, you know, I'm not really that poor and miserable. It, it's just a little minor speck if we have semi-Pelagianism or someone else's fault, and, and we, we don't take that responsibility. But the confession helps remind us of this, it would seem, right? Pastor Beck? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the fact that we take sin seriously, um, it enables us to take grace seriously as well. And... Um, uh, that's one of the one of the experiences I had um, actually while we were all in college together was uh, was reading through uh, Walther's uh, proper distinction between law and gospel for the first time and um, it really started to occur to me that I really am a sinner. Uh, I, I know that comes as a surprise to a lot of you guys, but um, it really it started to cut you know deeper than it ever had that my sin um, is is a real problem and not just you know little sins here and there, but who I am. Uh, my, my very being um, rife with sin. Uh, but again, uh, the point I'm trying to make is that uh, when we really understand what sin is and just how big of a problem it is for us, we can understand just how great of a Savior we have, right? Uh, so I, I think that this, uh, this trying to pass the buck onto someone else, uh, whether we pass uh, the buck to our parents, whether we pass the buck to, um, as, as in the previous paragraph, the devil, uh, kind of the devil made us like this or something like that. Um, anytime that we try to get out from under the thumb of God's law that says, you know, in the words of the prophet Nathan, you are the man, um, well, we wind up lying to ourselves. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Um, and so this is this is an important thing for us to reject um, is any kind of way that we could get out from under uh, the accusatory word of the law that says, yeah, it's your sin. But how are you going to deal with that? Look to Christ. Bonus points to Pastor Beck for bringing on uh, CFW Walther uh, citation <laughs> onto the show. We, we always appreciate that here at Concord Matters. Although I would also say that this was the great genius of Martin Luther in writing the small catechism, uh, which these sure. sorts of references always make Pastor Apple quite happy. But that's why he begins with the, the Ten <laughs> Commandments, right? Is that, uh, you yeah. know, it, I mean, how, how can I, I see anything when I go through those Ten Commandments and consider, you know, what this means, um, these, these Ten Commandments, but that I am a sinner. And then I'm led beautifully into the gospel and the creed and that, right? It's a genius in, in the small catechism, the way that Luther lays it up. Pastor Hill, anything to add here? Oh, no, I can't believe you asked, because I'm going to take things down to a different level. Um, great high-minded um, theological points from all of you, but one of my favorite pastimes, I suppose, is illustrating theology good and bad through country and bluegrass music. So this just reminds me exactly of a song um, where uh, we, we see the devil-made-me-do-it uh, mentality. The song by Cadillac Sky said, Wish I could say I was drinking, and the first and last Verses go like this. It's about a man who leaves a woman and, and regrets it. Wish I could say that it was drinking, blame it all on a bottle of booze. Then I would know what I was thinking, walking away from a woman like you. Wish this story had more to it. One good reason for goodbye. Like the devil made me do it, but that would only be a lie. 
So this idea here, you know, anytime we take this like the devil made me do it mentality, uh, we're fooling nobody but ourselves. You know, we, we, we've got different segments on this show, uh, like walkabouts <laughs> with Walther and Sean's soapboxes and things like that. I, I think, you know, a show with, with a bunch of Concordia, Texas alums, you know, and all these Texans, I, I think, you know, the country music, uh, you know, segment uh, definitely has its place. I, I'm in favor of it. I'll allow it. Uh, yeah, no, but you're you're right. That does play out, you know, not just in our cont- not uh, contemporary, but uh, in our um, uh, secular music and things like that. But it's it's a very predominant thinking in the world still today. You see this come out in movies and so forth, uh, and and these subtle themes of you know that uh, they're they're somehow not responsible for these things that they do or the sins that they the actual sins that they commit and so forth because of their background, right? It somehow excuses it and, uh, or, you know, Satan, you know, he's just a liar and things like that. And, you know, in a sense, you know, even to take it back and blame, you know, Adam and Eve as the reason that we have all this, all these problems, right. You know, because we do inherit this uh, original sin and so forth. I think then, you know, the, the simple response to that would simply be, well, then why don't you do better than them? Right. Just choose to do better yourself. But see, that's the reality. That's the depth of it and of the corruption of it, rather, is, is that you don't choose to do better. I often like to say, you know, if I if it were up to me in the Garden of Eden, I would have sinned at least three or four times faster. Right. I mean, I, I would have been all for it. Um, and, and, and that's just the depth of the corruption of our sin in us all. Right. All right. Well, great discussion here. We're going to go ahead and take a break there. Please join us right after this. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. 
The broadcasts of Morning Prayer and Evening Prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. And welcome back to Concord Matters, where we've got the Lutheran Confessions, the Catechism, Walther, and Country Music with our all-Texas alum uh, uh, group here today, cohort today. Oh, I messed up my own my own coming back. But we have Pastor <laughs> Timothy Apple, who's the pastor of Grace Lutheran in Smithville, Texas. Pastor Nate Hill, who's the pastor of St. Michael's Lutheran in Winchester, Texas. Pastor Dustin Beck, who's the pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran in Warda, Texas. And I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, who's the pastor of the dual parish of Emmanuel West Point in St. Paul's Wine Hill in Southern <laughs> Illinois. And we are indeed... Uh, uh, talking about uh, original sin, the article uh, one from the Formula of Concord, although using, uh, you know, the catechism, Walther and country music to, to help wrestle with understanding what's going on here. Uh, of course, uh, we, we've covered how, how uh, Satan uh, doesn't uh, kind of mix in original sin into our nature. Uh, we don't blame our original sin for faults uh, as if it has nothing to do with ourselves. Uh, we just admit our sinful condition and ask God to forgive us. That's kind of a, a brief catch up to what we've covered so far. Let's push forward and get uh, paragraph 19 of Article 1 of the Formula of Concord, the epitome that is. Um, and, and also, um, uh, this is negative statement number nine. We also reject and condemn as a Manichaean error the teaching that original sin is properly and without any distinction the substance, nature, and essence itself of the corrupt person. This teaching states the distinction states that a distinction between the corrupt nature as such after the fall and original sin should not even be conceived of, nor that they could be distinguished from each other even in thought. All right, I'm going to throw this to Pastor back in just a second, but before I do, uh, just just a, a reminder, we covered it in the first half of the show, but uh, a really uh, succinct definition of what we're talking about with Manichaeanism here is available. And I always like to give references to where you can find good studies other than this show, of course, um, to kind of make your way through this. And this, this comes from a study on the Formula of Concord called An Introduction to the Formula of Concord, uh, which is available through Northwestern Publishing House uh, from our sister church bodies of the Wells and ELS. A uh, very good study that I find very helpful, and I like their definition here of Manichaeanism. Uh, it says this, This ancient religion taught that we have two natures, one good and one evil. The religion taught ways of transcending the evil nature. So we see that dualism going on there and the whole idea is that we can transcend that. And again, as we've already discussed, uh, th th this definitely comes out in our secular thinking uh, quite a lot in our society, especially today. But it's it's been there. Obviously, they're dealing with it here at the, the Formula of Concord as well. So so what are we getting at then with this uh, this Manichaean error that comes up in uh, negative statement nine, paragraph 19 here, Pastor Beck? Well, I, I mentioned the word uh, a few moments ago uh, that we need to be nuanced about the way that we're talking. Um, and this paragraph uh, in specific points out that nuance because we cannot say, um, uh, uh, say the formulators, we cannot say that original sin is without any distinction the substance, nature, and essence itself of the corrupt person. Okay? We have to make a distinction. There has to be um, a, a we can say that, but <laughs> there has to be that but in between. And what we're talking about, of course, is that there is an after the fall. 
So we can talk about our nature before the fall, or we can talk about our nature after the fall. And that's the distinction that has to be made, um, lest we think that God made junk. Lest we think that um, in creation, God made us broken, right? Um, Or that God made us with the propensity to be broken. Um, and, And You know, when you think about it, I mean, this gets into the conversation about the personhood of Christ, because um, Jesus took on our nature. And if our nature is completely uh, and without any distinction, the substance, nature and essence of of humanity, um, are we saying that Jesus was incarnate in human flesh, bearing a human nature? Um, Did Christ have sin? Right, you see what's at stake here, uh, and, and so this is this is the point that they're trying to make um, is to say that our experience of human nature is this side of the fall, right after the fall, and so what we know it to be um, is a broken, wretched, um, no good, very bad thing, right? But we can make that distinction, and we can say that there was a time when creation itself was good, when God said of man, uh, He is very good. Right, um, and so we have to be able to make that distinction. We have to be able to hold that distinction, um, lest we say that God created us uh, broken, sinful people. Lest we say God created us to die, or God is the author of all evil. Um, that's really what's at stake in this paragraph. I like what you highlighted there, and 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 you use the word nuanced, and I, I think I, I I like what you started using there later a little bit better uh, in, in terms of talking of distinction rather than nuanced, because nuanced is kind of like a, a slight kind of change, and it's a little shady to me. But and I'm kind of getting this from uh, mm-hmm. the the great sainted doctors uh, Norman Nagel and uh, Ron Feuerhahn, who taught this to me um, that uh, sure. theology is is really about making distinctions right especially with regards to christ and 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 i love how you brought us back to christ there and and you said that the distinction is that has to be made is when we're talking about after the fall now i know the other guys probably have more to chime in here but and and i'll let them do so in a second but i think this is a good place then to bring in and read paragraph 20 negative statement number 10 because this is exactly the distinction that we have to make when we understand what luther himself wrote and has, as you guys have already highlighted well for us, you know, Luther, Luther's passed on now and he's not kind of around to, to kind of hold things together and, and say, no, this is, this is what I was teaching. This is what I actually, um, you know, what was going on here, my theology at work. Uh, and, and so we're trying to, to hold things back together with scripture and the true teaching. Um, but, but as we even still see today, uh, and I, as I've highlighted on this show several times, um, there are other Lutheran church bodies out there who will even quote Luther, um, but I believe do so wrongly and don't make proper distinctions in what he's actually writing. And so this is paragraph 20, uh, negative statement number 10. Now, original sin is called by Dr. Luther, nature sin, person sin, and essential sin. This is not because the nature, person, or essence of man is itself, without any distinction, original sin. He uses such words in order to show the distinction between original sin, which belongs to human nature, and other sins, which are called actual sins. Uh, again, that word distinction comes in there, and I think that's that's what we want to make. You know, what, what Luther seems to clearly be talking about is, is the nature after the fall. That's the distinction we're making, I think, that draws these two negative statements together. Pastor Apple, what do you say? Also, Luther is is doing something a little different too. He's he's not only talking about human nature after the fall, but he's making a distinction as as the the paragraph points out between this matter of original sin 
and actual sin. And so what we see, I think, here in the formula, beginning in paragraph 20, is that now the confessors start to move into a little bit of, of defining terms here. And they, they want to say, look, here are the errors that we've just laid out. And we recognize that maybe there's some things that have been written in the past that sound like some of these errors that we've pointed out. Here's the distinctions that we're making, as you pointed out. These are the distinctions that we're making and how it actually does fall in line with the true teaching. So when Luther talks about things like nature sin, person sin, essential sin, that one particularly sounds dangerous. The point that that the formulators are making here is, look, he's not saying that sin is an essential part of humanity. Rather, he's making a distinction between two other things, a distinction between original sin, which is the, the root of all of it, and the actual sin, which is the fruit of all of it. Okay, then we'll go ahead and build on with paragraph 21, and, and, and that's that's well well highlighted there and what Luther's saying. So we'll, we'll uh, build on with paragraph 21, which gets more at this then. Uh, and this is negative statement 11. I'll throw this one to uh, Pastor Hill. I think he's up now uh, after I read this. Original sin is not an actual sin that is committed. It is inherent to the nature, substance, and essence of humanity. So even if no wicked thought should ever arise in the heart of a corrupt person, no idle word should be spoken. No wicked deed should be done. Human nature is still corrupted through original sin. Original sin is born in us because of the sinful seed and as a source of all other actual sins, such as wicked thoughts, words, and works. As it is written in Matthew 15, verse 19, out of the heart come evil thoughts. Also, Genesis 8, 21 says, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. See also Genesis 6, verse 5. All right, so that, that seems to be building on, on uh, Luther's statement there. Pastor Hill, uh, take us away. Break this down for us. Yeah, here we're talking about um, a way that we sometimes, I think, imprecisely illustrate what original sin is, perhaps when we're catechizing uh, someone uh, into the faith. I know I've done this a number of times where I want to illustrate to somebody what we mean by original sin, and we'll use the example of a, a young child, uh, an infant even, and, and we'll say um, anyone who has had an infant in their home almost has to believe in original sin because as soon as the, the infant comes out, they cry, they, um, they'll act uh, even in anger towards someone who's trying to comfort them, that uh, sin even in its most uh, small and infantile forms is, is very clearly observable. And we use that reality to say, can't you tell that by nature we're sinful? But here in the formula, we're making uh, an even finer distinction of saying, actually in that example, those early, early sins are themselves actual sins. And, and in theory, uh, could someone come along and never commit any of these actual sins, you know, no idle words spoken, wicked deed done, that the human nature would still be corrupted, even in that example of, of something that someone could not possibly do. So it really gets us away from this idea that when someone is born, that there is ever a time that they are a blank slate from a moral sense or ever a time that they're not um, liable for sin uh, or that original sin has been within them uh, from the beginning of their very existence. And I think what's so interesting about this is when we read this paragraph and say, of course, that makes sense for, for every human being who ever has been, um, it does accept for one, um, the God-man Jesus Christ, who didn't do any of these things, yet is the one example of someone uh, who in the state of not doing any of these things is still unmarred himself by this condition.
which which would then also point to the the awesomeness of his conception right that that his his father is god himself uh and not a human father right does that play in here Absolutely. I think we see this in the, the phrase here, original sin is born in us because of the sinful seed and is a source of all other actual sins. So we have this notion that uh, everyone uh, created in the normal way and pattern of mankind inherits this sin um, from their, uh, their parents uh, as a spiritual condition from, uh, from conception, but Christ, of course, although he does take on real, true human flesh in the incarnation, uh, his flesh is sourced in a different um, and miraculous way as he's conceived by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. So he comes to the world in a different way than either of us do, although he still comes bearing human flesh that's like us in every way, yet without sin. Well, and I think here is actually a helpful place that, that Latin and just a little bit of knowledge of Latin is really helpful for us because as you highlighted there, you know, it's through the seed there, you know, the word that we, we use that comes from the father in, in a conception is semen, which is uh, Latin for seed, right? And so it's, the, it's actually being passed on through, through, uh, you know, our, our, uh, our old Adam is passed down through the fathers, right? Uh, and so the, the, the Holy Spirit being the seed of Jesus, uh, very, very special thing. Now, of course, we can get way off topic and talking about the uh, perpetual virginity of Mary and things like that could play in here, but that's a, a topic for another show uh, to be covered at a later date, uh, not today. But, but in, in highlighting here, uh, right, is that, uh, you know, we, we do have this sin, um, this original sin, distinction of actual sin coming out, and, and, and that these actual sins come out because of our original sin, uh, and we, we want to continue to highlight that. Um, also, then, I think this, this builds upon into the next paragraph and negative statement as well, this discussion that we've been having. So this is paragraph 22, negative statement number 12. There is also to be noted well the different uses of the word nature by which the Manichaeans hide their error and lead astray many simple people. For sometimes this word means the essence, the very substance of man, as when it is said, God created human nature. At other times, it means the attitude and the base quality of a thing, which belongs to its nature or essence, as when it is said, the nature of the serpent is to bite, and the nature and way of man is to sin and is sin. Here the word nature does not mean the substance of man, but something that belongs to the nature or substance. And Pastor Hill, you were talking about this with infants, and, and I've even used this myself, too. Uh, you know, you kind of called out yourself. You know, I, I use this with my own son uh, that uh, is about to turn one years old. I mean, the, the sin, the actual sins are there. And, 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 you know, in trying to describe, oh, clearly he's got a sinful nature. I, I point to those actual sins and so forth. But, but it can become a very dangerous, slippery slope. Um, you know, in, in, in talking about the nature and not making the proper distinctions, that then all of a sudden we have a Jesus problem, as we've, as we've highlighted on here. Because how, how did we get Jesus, um, if that is the very nature of man, is, is to sin and is sin, right? So that, that would seem to be the case that's being made here. Uh, what do you think, Pastor Hill? Yeah, I agree with you completely. Um, if, we, uh, if we get too far astray from the text, uh, we can go too far down our path of philosophical uh, conversation and end up making Christ into something that he's not. 
Um, and I can think of nothing uh, worse that we could possibly do as Christian theologians. All right. And, and, and we've been building several things here, and so I'm going to open it up to the guests. Uh, we we kind of moved fast through several paragraphs there as, as they kind of built upon one another. But uh, before we move on and kind of as Pastor Hill just set us up for that kind of philosophical discussion. I think that's where the end uh, three paragraphs uh, come into uh, play here. Uh, I want to allow you guys to respond to any of those points in those paragraphs and that building sequence that we've had. Pastor Apple, I'll throw it to you first. I just like to point out, particularly in paragraph 11, this matter of original sin and actual sin. One way that was taught to me early on that I found helpful which I think is the distinction that the formulators are making here, is that we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. In other words, as, as we've said all along, what comes first is the original sin. And that is the root from which springs the fruit of actual sin. But as Pastor Hill was pointing out, even if that actual sin never came about, still that original sin is there, which I, I think speaks much to what Christianity is. Christianity is not just a matter of fixing our outward behavior, because that wouldn't take care of the whole problem. That's only taking mm. care of the actual sin. Christianity has to go deeper than that. It has to, as Paul says, make us new creatures, and that can only happen through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I like highlighting that, you know, that you said original sin is still there. And, and that is uh, important to highlight, and, and, and I would even tag on to that, that the guilt is still there, and thus also plays into our mm -hmm. need to continue to come in repentance and seek forgiveness, right? Uh, I, I think we fall into this thinking far too often, even in the Lutheran Church, you know, that, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of progress past this, if you will, you know, we, uh, as, as I said, you know, this Manichaean thinking still, I think, plagues us too, that that definition from that study uh, from Northwestern Publishing House on the formula of Concord that I referenced, you know, that the Manichaean religion taught ways of transcending the evil nature. I think this is where that tends to come in, is that sometimes we think, you know, I get past my my sin problem because I start living a better life. I start noticing, you know, my, my you know, to, to use you know, no, I'm not going to use it. But but we start living, uh, you know, a more holy life. Progressive sanctifi sanctification is what I was going to bring in there, but I don't want to get too sidetracked in talking about that. Uh, but uh, you know, we that we we you know, and, and we think of ourselves as pretty good people. We've kind of dealt with our actual sins. We maybe see fewer actual sins in our lives, and then we start to think, well, you know, I I don't really have to you know, make that confession that I'm a completely poor, miserable sinner, uh, at least that temptation is there to not say the words or not to believe the words, um, because we've nullified the guilt of our of our original sin, I think is the plane that comes in there. Pastor Beck, what do you think? Yeah, two things uh, that I was thinking while we were walking through uh, paragraphs 11, 12, et cetera, um, is the first one is uh, regarding the pronouns. Right. And we talked about this a little bit uh, back in eight uh, when we try to weasel our way out from under uh, the, the curse of original sin. But we still talk about it as our original sin inherited from our parents. Right. And I think that this is this is an important thing for us to remember is that it's it's not some kind of uh, outside of us reality, but it actually is our responsibility. It actually is our I mean, Maybe it's not our fault, but, I mean, it, we're the ones left holding the bag, 
right? Um, it's our pedigree. It's who we are. Um, I was thinking about this, and, um, you know, uh, back to the distinction, uh, uh, Pastor Smith, that we were drawing beforehand. Um, when we're drawing this distinction of after the fall, right, um, here in paragraph 12, it's making the point that saying to be man is not essentially, in essence, to be sinful. But to be man after the fall is to be sinful. Does that make sense? I mean, that's that, there, there's a, it's a slight distinction, but it makes a world of difference to say um, that what, it, what does it mean to be man? It doesn't necessarily mean to be sinful, right? Um, Jesus is man, right? Um, Adam was formed as a man. Right? But Adam, after the fall, and you and me after the fall, um, we can't conceive in ourselves uh, of any kind of an experience that is beyond this sinfulness, this, uh, this innate, inborn um, boundness to sin. Right? Um, so that's, that's who we are and what we experience, but you have to keep that distinction intact um, lest Christ be um, uh, kind of uh, denigrated to in the same boat as the rest of us, and then how could he save us? I think that that's uh, that, that and the, the point on the pronouns, that it is our original sin, even though it's not necessarily our fault, um, we're bound to the very same curse as Adam and Eve fell into. I, I, I think... I agree with you, and and I understand what you mean. However, to make that distinction maybe seems a little bit too far itself, too, uh, and and maybe moves past. Last week, we talked a a good bit about this, of how what we should do is just simply confess, right, Uh, what Scripture teaches. Um, And and I think that perhaps maybe, um, and, and I want your feedback on this, perhaps maybe we pushed a little too far in that distinction to say, you know, the nature of man after the fall, because... Jesus himself was conceived a man after the fall. Right, but he's conceived by the word of God, right? He takes on flesh by the word spoken into the ear of Mary, right? He's not conceived uh, through the procreation, the forwarding of creation that God gave to Adam and Eve, right? He's, he's a, um, I mean, he's in a, in a league all his own because his, his conception is not like yours and mine. Right. Um, God gives him. I mean, he is, he's given humanity because he's he's our brother in every way. Right. Except sin. I think Pastor Hill mentioned that. That's also in the Bible. But um, <laughs> um, you are right. We, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, we want to be you know, we want to be careful to not, um, you know, I guess, write checks that, um, that the, the scriptures don't cash here because we don't want to say something that's going to lump Jesus in with us rotten sinners. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And and again, I think that the key point here is making the proper distinctions, uh, yeah, not absolutely. only of law and gospel, as Walter would encourage us, but in the sense of of, of what does the scripture clearly teach on this? And, and, yeah. and we just I wanted to flesh that out a little bit more rather than just kind of leaving it as, you know, that, that <laughs> kind of one phrase of after the, the nature of man after the fall, because that could be easily misunderstood as to, well, Jesus was conceived after the fall. But when we talk about the, the special nature or, or the special way in which he was conceived, and then also <laughs> I would tie in what bapti- what we teach about baptism, right? That that's yeah. the very word of God that reconceives us, right? Makes us oh, born absolutely. again. 
and and so very very important point to, to highlight there as well all right with just a few minutes left i, I need to push forward th with these last uh three paragraphs i'll read them together and then i want you guys to reflect on on, on what this is getting at here so this is negative uh, statement 13 and kind of also the summary paragraphs 23 through 25 of article one on original sin from the epitome of the formula of concord now consider the Latin terms substantia, substance, and accidents, a non-essential quality. They are not words of Holy Scripture, and besides are unknown to the ordinary person. So they should not be used in sermons before ordinary, uninstructed people. Simple people should be spared them. But in the schools among the learned, and these words are rightly kept in disputes about original sin. For they are well known and used without any misunderstanding to distinguish exactly between the essence of the thing and what attaches to it in an accidental way. The distinction between God's work and that of the devil is made in the clearest way by these terms. For the devil can create no substance, but can only in an accidental way with God's consent, corrupt the substance created by God. But just about a minute 30 left here. Uh, Pastor Hill, go ahead and uh, give us your thoughts. Well, I, for one, would count your audience among the, the learned here uh, who can handle these uh, subjects. You've got the substance and the accidents, and the substance is the stuff that you can't take away and remain what you are. And the accidents are the things that if you take them away, you remain uh, who you are. So if we're talking about human nature and being fully human, um, then this distinction is so helpful because Christ, although he lacks the accident of original sin, is still fully 100% human. And we, after having been redeemed by him, washed in the waters of holy baptism, uh, made a part of his people, um, we have sin removed from us as well. And yet, we still remain uh, essentially human beings created as God created us to be. In fact, human beings freed from the accident of that sinful nature which has been placed upon us. So um, I think it's just such a helpful thing to see that God made us to be human beings in his image. Um, we have fallen into sin and had that linked to ourselves as an accident. But when Christ takes it away, we're restored to being exactly how God intended us to be. Very well said. Thank you. Uh, just to wrap this up, uh, I, I, I want to cite from the solid declaration, uh, which we've talked about as, as the more fuller treatment of this than the epitome, which we're working our way through. But I want to make reference to this in the solid declaration. It says this on this article. It says, this controversy regarding original sin is not an idle quarrel. On the contrary, if this teaching is correctly drawn from God's word and distinguished from all Pelagian and Manichaean errors, then people will better recognize and praise all the more the benefits of the Lord Christ and his precious merit, as well as the gracious work of the Holy Spirit. That comes to us in paragraph three of the solid declaration of the formula of Concord uh, on this article one. And is exactly the point. All of this gets back to the gospel of Jesus Christ himself, who came into this Amen. world to save sinners. That's what we'll be celebrating this Christmas. I want to thank my guests today, Pastor Timothy Apple, Pastor of Grace Lutheran in Smithville, Pastor Nate Hill, uh, Pastor of St. Michael's Lutheran in Winchester, Texas, Pastor Dustin Beck, who's a pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran in Warda, Texas. And if you have a question or a comment that you'd like to leave for us to address the next time we convene for Concord, you, Concord, you can leave us a message by phone 314-996-1542, email kfo at kfo.org, on social media at kfo radio. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith. Thank you for stopping by today. And until next time, keep confessing, church.